Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Visual Politics Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Simon Whistler. This is a repurposing of a video that originally went out on our YouTube channel on the 19th of February 2019. It was originally intended for video, so there are moments where I'm going to jump in, and if there was a chart or anything, I'm just going to help illustrate that. The video was uh, the end of the dollar. Why do Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies arise? So I really hope you enjoy this one, and let's get into it. We're going to talk about what is perhaps the most disruptive innovation since the invention of the internet. But first, we're going to ask you one thing, and do let your imagination fly here. Try to think unconventionally. Ready? Well, let me start with some questions. Can you imagine a new form of money? Can you imagine companies run by non-human owners? Can you imagine a company whose owner is a few lines of code located in the digital cloud? Can you imagine a company or an NGO with no human workers? Folks, 2018, it wasn't Bitcoin's year. I think we all know that. Lately, every bit of news related to this currency has sounded extremely worrying. This quote is from Bloomberg. Bitcoin's crash looks like a real currency crisis. Bitcoin is in crisis. You can never really declare it dead, but its price has slumped 80% in less than a year, wiping out $700 billion of cryptocurrency markets. From The Guardian. Bitcoin biggest bubble in history, says economist who predicted 2008 crash. Noriel Rubini calls cryptocurrency the mother of all bubbles. From The Washington Post. The only currency worse than Bitcoin is Venezuela's. Bitcoin is worthless artificial gold. Bitcoin reminds me of us. Oscar Wilde's definition of fox hunting, the pursuit of the uneatable by the unspeakable. Bitcoin and ICOs, it's one of the crazier speculative things. But wait just a second, because in spite of everything it brought about, Bitcoin is more than just a currency. Blockchain, the technology that supports it, could become nothing less than the operating system of an entirely new economy, a key instrument for organizing the society of the future. We're talking about a system that could allow us to create a very different society than the one we all know, a society organized in innovative ways, without hierarchical entities, without borders, a new, perfectly decentralized society. And if you're thinking this sounds just like the internet, well, you're kind of right. There's some really good technology in terms of sharing databases and verifying transactions uh, that is talked about as blockchain. That is a good thing. For the first time in the history of mankind, this technology can render politicians, banks, governments, and large corporations as we know them nearly obsolete when it comes to our money. Here on VisualPolitik, we've already talked about the applications and changes that cryptocurrency and blockchain are causing. We've even told you about how one Swiss canton wants to become the new capital of the ICOs. Well, now we want to look towards the future. So let's talk about cryptocurrencies, let's talk about blockchain, and let's talk about smart contracts. Because, folks, saying that this technology is simply money is like saying that the internet is just email. But hold on a second. Before we move on, we need to know the exact meaning of Bitcoin and what it brings to society. First, we'll take a look at money. What exactly is money? What problems does it pose? How useful is cryptocurrency? Well, listen up. The origin of money. Folks, you use it every day, but if you ever really asked yourself, well, what 
is money. Why do we value these little pieces of paper quite so much? What's the difference between monopoly money and actual paper money? Why is this worth more than the other? How is its value determined? Taking an example, if you ever got lost in a desert, which would you find more valuable? A $100 bill, a diamond, or five liters of water? In other words, how much would you pay for a nice cold drink in the middle of the Sahara? There's no need to really think about that. Obviously, it's not a serious question. What we want to get across is that we value things completely subjectively. The money we all know, all those coins we carry in our pockets, have a certain value simply because we all agreed to give them that value. Of course, we've never held a meeting to discuss it, we've never voted or agreed on it or anything like that, which is sort of paradoxical when you think about it. By the way, for those who are tempted to think that money's value is set by governments, just think about what happened to the Bolivar in Venezuela. I've decided to remove three zeros from our currency, you sons of over there. But what exactly is money? Don't be deceived, money is nothing more than a language, a linguistic abstraction. With money, we transmit the idea of value to each other. For example, that's what we do when we say that a house is worth so much in euros or dollars. In other words, the value of things is very personal and depends on how useful and worthwhile that thing is to each of us. And money is no different. Its value isn't set in stone. It depends on the decisions we make every day, every hour, every instance. That is, the paper itself is worth next to nothing. Therefore, saying that a cryptocurrency can't have value because it's in the cloud, it doesn't make sense. It can have the same value as any other currency. Having said that, folks, let's take a look at a slightly scarier feature, one where there's a huge difference between cryptocurrencies and conventional money. Did you know that no matter where you live, every day you're a victim of a small robbery? Listen up, because this is probably modern money's largest defect. An unstoppable depreciation. We've said it plenty of times here on Visual Politics. The money we all use every day, the paper currency, those coins we have in our pockets, they have a huge defect. And that's that they're issued by governments and public institutions. And yes, the central bank is also a public institution. That is ultimately how politicians control how much money is issued. And let's not deceive ourselves here. These politicians will always want to speed up the money-making machine. Now this poses a huge problem. It's like being robbed without really noticing it. Allow me to explain myself. When a government prints more money, it creates inflation. That is, money loses its purchasing power and the money's value dilutes. And that's happening to all the money and all the savings that you've gathered in that currency. From The Economist. Venezuela's currency plums unknown depths. Hyperinflation has seen the Bolivar lose 99.9% .9 of its value in two years. But you may be thinking, well, all right, Simon, I mean, fine, but surely this only happens in developing countries or those with populist governments, right? Well, no, that's not in the least true. Yes, evidently in these sorts of countries, the process tends to be quicker, but historically, no currency has ever maintained its value for more than a generation. Let's take a look at the dollar, the most popular world currency today. Well, nowadays, the dollar is worth 2% of what it was worth a century ago. And that's due to decisions made in Washington over the last 100 years that has caused the dollar to lose 98% of its value. 
Surprised? Well, don't be, because this problem is really nothing new. The problem indeed existed in ancient Rome. Emperor Diocletian, for example, was infamous for creating soaring inflation rates and then trying to fix them by setting maximum prices. But at this point, you might have a couple of questions. If the result is always the same, why the hell does the government have a monopoly on money? And second, is there a way to prevent politicians from being tempted to print more money or to create more digital money, which is even quicker and easier? Well, this is where an almost insurmountable obstacle automatically arises. See, it's hard to stop a politician from being tempted to print bills. And this has been attempted in several ways. For example, by formally turning central banks into apparently independent entities. But no, this didn't work much either. Among other things, this is because politicians end up appointing the people who run those central banks. But what if money was separated from the state? Allow me to explain, because this isn't actually a concept that's that odd. Many people watching this video will believe that separating church from state is a good idea, or separating powers that guarantee an independent judiciary. So the question becomes, why not do the same thing with money? What if we, the people, everyday citizens, created our own currency behind the politicians' backs? In a way, this is precisely what many people who support the gold standard want. That is, they want us to go back to using gold as a currency. This is because gold, it just can't be created out of thin air. But hold on a second, because this would be massively inconvenient and it wouldn't solve the problem. Historically, banks, politicians, and others have always managed to make more money. But this, this is the 21st century. I mean, isn't there a better solution? What if we think in a disruptive way? Well, this is exactly where cryptocurrencies come in. So listen up. Welcome Bitcoin, welcome Satoshi. January the 3rd, 2009, 1845 Greenwich Mean Time. In an unknown location, an unknown programmer nicknamed Satoshi Nakamoto created the first blockchain. It's the so-called genesis block of the blockchain. And with that, Bitcoin was born. Now, a lot has been said about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. You can find all sorts of technical information online, so no, that's not going to be what we're going to cover right now. On Visual Politic, we want to deal with it differently. We want to see the entire thing from a point of view that takes all of this technology's future implications into account. Because, folks, Bitcoin has some very special characteristics that make it quite unique. And it isn't just that with Bitcoin you can pay for something on the other side of the world pretty quickly, or that it's a deflationary currency because no one's ever going to be able to make more than 21 million Bitcoins. Perhaps the most important thing is that Bitcoin is controlled by nothing and nobody, not even its creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. Nobody is in charge of Bitcoin. No scientist, no corporation, no bank, no company. It's a completely decentralized system. It's people, us, who freely and spontaneously give it or remove its value. So now you might be beginning to understand. Nobody controls it, nobody censors it, nobody can limit it. With Bitcoin, you don't even need to identify yourself, which means that nobody can know what you spent your money on. This is very different from what happens when we pay with Visa or American Express. All the information about our expenses, the way in which we spend our money, what we do at all times, is within these companies' reach. And of course, they give it to the country's current politicians. But what if we want to spend our money without people finding out what we do with it? In Europe and the US, this might not seem that important, but think about what this would mean for the people in countries like Cuba or Nicaragua or Saudi Arabia. There, you don't trust your local politicians, so you don't want them knowing what you're up to. And of course, don't forget about inflation, which vanishes with Bitcoin. So can you see these cryptocurrencies' huge advantages? 
And it's not only Bitcoin, there's also Ethereum, Monero, Cardano, IOTA, Ripple, and many others. In fact, it's very probable that in the future several cryptocurrencies will coexist and will be valued freely by the market. And of course, some will become very valuable and many others will simply disappear. But there's no doubt about it, cryptocurrencies, they're here to stay. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search Visual Politic. That's politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.